Now, I'd experienced anxiety a lot growing up, but depression was the more predominant experience for me. Now, there's a lot of studies recently, which I absolutely love, that are showing, because I'm really glad about this, that are showing actually there's close relationship between depression and anxiety in the way where people that experience a lot of anxiety will become depressed. And a lot. Kia ora whanau. welcome to the Pocket Coach Podcast. My biggest bout of anxiety and three steps I took personally to work through that bout of anxiety. And to come to a place where I genuinely, in all honesty, experience very little anxiety in my life. Yes, I still experience anxiety. Yes, I am a human being. So therefore, yes, I do experience anxiety. <laughs> it is a very human emotion. And it's something that I wish would be talked about more. It's something that caused me a lot of really crippling experience in my life to the point where, you know, of panic attacks to the point of me considering the idea of leaving this earth, but I never really had the intention of. It's just like these thoughts would come into my mind of like, man, I just wish this would end. Like the only way I can think of the ending is, you know, if I wasn't here on this planet anymore, but I want to be here on this planet, you know? <laughs> so that was sort of what was the, the sort of thoughts that I'd go through. Now, I'd experienced anxiety a lot growing up, but depression was the more predominant experience for me. Now, there's a lot of studies recently, which I absolutely love, that are showing, because I'm really glad about this, that are showing actually there's close relationship between depression and anxiety in the way where people that experience a lot of anxiety will become depressed and people that experience a lot of depression will also experience a lot of tendencies of anxiety. So there's a big crossover, and that was definitely real for me because I was diagnosed with depression, and I eventually came to a place where I actually, like, because it wasn't really much anxiety because I, would, I wouldn't put myself out into the world to face anything that would cause anxiety. I was, I was in a very safe place. I was lucky to be, very lucky to be in a home that I was, was full of love and support and, you know, parents that were, that were taking care of me. And I was, I was very lucky. But of course, because I was in a way, in a place that was extra sheltered, I never had to face these things. So the moment I was thrown out into the real world, you know, I was all of a sudden faced with all these challenges that I never learned how to deal with when I was growing up. You know, like, like, it's not my parents' fault. I'm, you know, they did everything they could. And, you know, I'm like, what can you do with a child that, you know, is, you don't know what to do with? <laughs> like, like, how do we make them communicate with us more? Like, I just wouldn't, you know? So that's just, just the way I was. And, you know, of course, and like deep down, I didn't, even, I didn't even know what I needed. So how the heck could my parents, you know? Um, I know there's, you know, amazing people out there sharing skills for parents to deal with children with mental health issues and challenges and disorders and all the rest but you know like at the end of the day you know people can only do what they can and you know I, I, re I have massive respect for that so you know more of this needs to happen more open talk around these kinds of things needs to happen so that these things can come to the table and so that they can be communicated more authentically um, I feel like if I'd heard more people speak about this in my upbringing I would have been more open about this I believe with my my parents and you know we could have figured something out probably to you know create a more supportive environment for what I needed at that time but sort of putting that all, all that aside because you know my parents are the absolute best and did a kick-ass job like genuine I mean that genuinely by the way it's not sarcastic I love them and I, I like let's fast forward to the time where anxiety started to build up a lot for me. The first time I remember experiencing a panic attack was I was 20 years old and I was in a again, my parents were supporting the heck out of me. I was in a granny flat in Sydney and you know my parents were paying for those granny flats i didn't even have to worry about finances so i didn't really have anything really to worry about yet here i was like, i was studying right so i had the pressure of studying yes right and i had the pressure of a relationship yes so i was in a relationship with an amazing human who i was living with at the time and 
you know, she was there in the kitchen, you know, she was cooking us dinner and I was sitting there on the couch. I think I was watching anime. I love anime. <laughs> and yeah, go figure. I'm a geek. I know. I love it. I know. I own it. And I was, I just curled up into the fetal position. And I remember I just started having a panic attack. I didn't know it was a panic attack at the time, but I started hyperventilating. <laughs> and, and I just curled up and I didn't know what to do. And my girlfriend at the time came over to me and she's like, Karen, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And I just remember so clearly, so clearly just repeating the words, I don't know. I don't know. And she kept asking me what was going on. And I don't remember anything else after that. Like everything went bl like as blank. I definitely didn't pass out, but from maybe I did, but from memory, I don't think I did. But I think I just completely disassociated. And th that was all I remembered from that moment. And, you know, there's a funny thing about trauma because when there's a high secretion of adrenaline from like a traumatic experience, the memories that, that are recalled are actually the memories that are leading up to that moment, right? So that's why I remember everything from her being in the kitchen to, you know, me watching anime to the experience, but I don't remember anything after that because, you know, the brain doesn't require that information. It requires what was leading up to it so that I can look for those symptoms in the future so that I can, you know, learn to fight, freeze or flight with those <laughs> and deal with them, right? So that, yeah, that's just a little thrown in fact for you guys because that can help. Anyway, like follow on another three and a half years. So fast forward, and I was living in Quebec. I was telling the story in the last episode we did when I was talking about attachment, and this was more so in the episode before then, I was sharing a story about how I, that was the biggest bout of anxiety I experienced in my life to the point of panic attacks, right? And to the point where I would cry and all the rest. Experienced a lot of jealousy and you know, all these heavy emotions. And a big stimulus of this, or a big trigger of this, I should say, was the relationship I was in, and it wasn't because of her. It was purely because actually I was in a place where I was deeply lonely within myself and I was seeking fulfillment and completion through her, uh, which led to a toxic situation from my end. And, you know, that triggered the anxiety that I was so prone to because, you know, I was a very anxious person. I was addressing that through weed and um, addic like addiction through other things such as alcohol and sex and porn and you know, all, the, all, the, all these other things that, I, that I'd grown up using. Now, so as I went through this, of course, I naturally craved peace. I remember there was a one moment in particular, and I've actually said this in my podcast in previous seasons because it's a story that is so like vivid for me because it's a moment that like was, was a turning point for me in my life where I was sitting on a couch. It was when I was in Quebec at the time, and I'd experienced a lot of anxiety up into that point, and I just remember sitting there very clearly. I think I'd probably just been crying from memory. And I think I'd been watching a um, animation movie, not anime, by the way, this time, <laughs> but like, you know, probably like a Disney movie or something. And I was looking up into the corner of my room, of the, of the lounge rather that I was in. I was, I was just on my own, living on my own. And I remember thinking two things. The first thing I remember thinking very clearly was all I want in this life is peace. Even if this relationship doesn't work out, even if, you know, I don't get everything that I want or, you know, I don't get the respect that, I, that I'm craving or whatever it is, I, I don't care if I don't even, because it was close to Christmas at the time. So yeah, I was feeling quite lonely because of that as well. And like, even if I don't ever get another Christmas present again, you know, I just had these, all these thoughts. I just want to feel peaceful. That's all I want. If I could, if that was the only gift I ever got ever again, that would be more than enough. And the second thought I kept having was I wouldn't even want my worst enemy to feel this way because it's just too painful. I don't think anyone deserves to feel this way. And that's how I felt. And that's exactly how I still feel. No one deserves to feel that way. It is a horrendous feeling that I don't wish upon anyone. And it's a feeling that I want to address more 
on this podcast, not just this episode. Now, through that experience, because it was such a pivotal moment for me, because it was like, I need to do something. And I just started my journey. I put aside my pride and my need to do it on my own because I felt like if I like only by doing it on my own, am I actually doing it? If I do it any other way through the support and help of another, I haven't really done it, right? That's sort of how I felt. I was so in a place of ego around that, that, you know, and that held me back from healing and it stopped me from healing. And it meant that I was affecting others around me negatively because of that. So it was really beautiful to have that experience because it just triggered me and on, propelled me into being um, more productive and seeking the help that I know I needed personally, not just the help of traditional therapy, which wasn't actually serving me personally. Like it just didn't quite click for me. So I needed to seek something more alternative. So I, my first step was Dr. Nicola Opera, the holistic psychologist. I did some work with her. She was amazing. Then I started, then I actually eventually after some time, I moved to Bali and I sought out more Buddhist processes. So I wanted, because, you know, when I think of peace, the th thing that comes to my mind is like a monk. I'm like, wow, they seem like nothing phases them. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I sought through like their wisdom. And, you know, it's, that's really served me in my life. But the in-between was what I wanted to address on today's podcast, which is what was the sort of first steps that I took that started to help me through the anxiety without me getting to Bali and, you know, getting to this beautiful place where I had all these wise people to learn from. Because just because that was happening doesn't mean I wasn't anxious. <laughs> Trust me. Wherever you go, there you are. If you've ever heard that saying, you know how damn true that is. It doesn't matter where you go, you're taking every single problem, every single challenge you have in your life with you. It doesn't matter if you're around paradise. If you're not experiencing paradise within, that is not paradise. Trust me. And for those that haven't had the opportunity to travel, that probably sounds like baloney to you. Wait until you experience it. It is the most disheartening thing. Being in paradise all around you and not feeling like paradise within it is horrible. It's horrendous. And, you know, that was a lot of my life. So even though I went on these beautiful journeys that I'm going to be sharing in future episodes that it will get to, doesn't mean that I was experiencing bliss within. Trust me, I wasn't. <laughs> I had to find that within myself. And it gave me the opportunity to go and live in the places that previously triggered depression and anxiety in a more peaceful way because I learned these things. So, you know, it's not about where I, where I was. It was about how I was within. Now, the three steps I started taking while I was still in Quebec at the time, that really served me. The first is something that I mentioned in the last episode, which was future journaling. I started actually journaling steps that I wanted to start taking when I was faced with the triggers that came from the attachments I had. So one was around my relationship, another was around my the money that I wasn't earning, that I was craving, that I was needing because I was worried about even paying next month's rent or even being able to go to the freaking grocery store and buy food. I was too scared to buy salmon, <laughs> for example, because it was so expensive. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't buy that food. I have to buy something cheap because I can't afford it. <laughs> So, you know, things like that and like not knowing when my next, like, cause you know, I wasn't on a salary. I, was, I had my own business. So I was, I was relying on the next person to pay me. And at any moment with a snap of the fingers, I can just quit. And then I all of a sudden don't have an income just like that. And I'm there on the other side of the world needing to support myself in a place that goes to negative 35 degrees Celsius. It's a pretty damn scary thing where I, no one really speaks English. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's pretty isolating. But so it's future journaling really served me here, which was I'd start, I'd journal every single day for at least five minutes in the morning. And I would write things like when I would normally experience X and do Y, I am learning to feel A and experience B, right? So that's the template. When I would normally do X, and feel why I am learning to experience A and do B. So example might be when I would normally get anxious from a client dropping out or leaving or not paying me, 
I am learning to be at peace with that and ask myself, what is the best next step that I can take right now? So I'm giving myself productive like feedback and a productive step to take that will serve me more than hurt me, right? So I'm coming away, coming away from the hurt and I'm moving towards the self-service aspect. I'm teaching myself that. And by writing it down enough times, which is why, you know, if you've got detention, you have to write down, you know, a line in detention. I don't know if you guys have ever had to do that. I did once, <laughs> many times probably. If, yeah, my childhood's a little bit more of a blur than what I, it seems a lot of other people have it because of disassociation I had. But that's why we repeat things because when we repeat things, we remember them. Right. So same as when you're learning a speech, right? What do you do? You practice it. You, you say it over and over again. When you write these things over and over again and even verbalize them, you're inserting these processes into your mind, into your brain, so that when that trigger would normally happen, you're learning to be triggered into a productive action rather than a hurtful action that would normally be played out. So that's the power of future journaling, and that's something that really served me at the time. I don't use this any more future journaling because I don't feel like it has a place in my life in a productive way as much as other things do. At the time, that was the most productive, one of the, the most productive things I could do. So there's a time and place for it. For some people, it will help. For some people, it won't. So just you know, take these things with a grain of salt. And I got this practice from Dr. Nicola Pera. She taught that to me, which is, you know, credit's due where it's, where it's due. And it's important that I mention that amazing Instagram page, by the way, the holistic psychologist, you can go to her page. Yeah. So I owe that lady a lot. Now, the second thing that really serves me, and I also learned this from Dr. Nicole, she was telling me these were the two practices she actually gave me were these two practices when I did some work with her. And the second practice she gave me was self promises and learning a skill. So I can like, there was sort of a combined practice. It's really two things, but we were combining it into one. Now, the power of a self-promise, which is when I tell myself I'm going to do something, I do it no matter what. So it's just setting one promise every day. And what that does is by telling myself this is what I would do, and then no matter what fulfilling that, I'm instilling this level of self-trust in myself to the point where if something was to happen in day-to-day -day life that would normally trigger me or send me into anxiety, I am learning now to trust in my ability to handle the unknown and uncertain because I've shown to myself that I can follow through with the challenges that life throws at me by fulfilling the promise that I give to myself no matter what, right? So the promise that I'd given to myself at the time was actually handstands, which is, learn which is aligned with learning a skill. And the beauty with learning a skill is that I get to see progression. And the, f the experience that I get from seeing progression in my life from something I'm working at is a self-fulfilling experience, which is I have the ability to develop something. I have the ability to create growth in my life based on, based on my ability to work at it and chip at it, which gives me a feeling of empowerment, right? Now, I combined that self-promise with that skill of practicing handstands. I would practice five minutes a day no matter what. So even if I would be like gone, had gone out with my friends and I got home at like 11.30 at night or midnight, right? I'd practice my handstands because I had in that day, if I had in that day for five minutes, no matter what. And by sticking with that promise, no matter what, not only did I get good at handstands from not even being able to handstand against the wall and literally making a hole in my own wall, <laughs> which wasn't good, and to the point where I was able to handstand for, I think I timed it to 25 seconds without assistance, um, you know, in the space of about two months. Pretty spectacular, right? But that was from five minutes every single day, no matter what. Now, um, so that was a really you know, big shift. The third thing that really served me was 
I'd already been meditating a lot in my life, but I took another level when I was in Quebec. I started lengthening it and I started doing a little more unguided meditation. So mostly it was still guided, but I started to transition a little more into unguided at that time in my life. And I started to do some, a little bit of breathing, not much, but a little bit of breathing and some work around being present. I practiced being present with like the trees around me and, and the sounds of the birds. And, you know, I started being more present, practicing these, this um, practice of presence, which allowed me to recognize what was real, which is what was around me rather than what was simulated, which was my mind, right? My mind's a simulation. It's, it's like, like quite literally is, right? It was just playing out data. It's repeating data. It's, you know, recycling it. What's real is what's around me. Like what's more real um, what you're listening to or watching right now and what's actually around you in your room or in, in your car or whatever, wherever you are, or what's on your mind. What's more real? Is it the thing you're remembering that's already happened or could possibly happen, but might not, or the actual stuff around you, right? That's what, that was, that was um, what, being present or practicing presence really taught me and it helps me to recognize that what was around me, what was occurring right now, this moment was more relevant than the craziness that I was replaying over in my head that was causing a lot of anxiety. These practices were really big things that served me. The meditation really served me in the way that I was able to instill calmness earlier in the day through a practice, through facing the anxiousness, the antsiness that I experienced and choosing to sit no matter what, recognizing that if I can sit regardless of my mind's desire to move and to not face itself, uh, then I am instilling a strong level of self-empowerment where I'm proving to myself that I'm the one in control, not my mind, right? I'm not a slave to my mind. My mind is my slave. That's a shift. And that was a shift. I was teaching it time and time again, practice by practice. And that's where that those certain practices really served me in my life. And it's my hope that these practices are of service to you too. So if you did you know, learn anything, get any insight from this, then you know, I'd really appreciate sharing it. If you did get anything from it, of course, uh, or even leaving a review or whatever really helps us to grow this podcast because the podcast does grow mostly organically. You know, I don't have any paid advertising or anything like that is growing it. So yeah, that would mean the world. Or you know, hit subscribe if you're on YouTube or whatnot. Thank you so much. I will see you next time. I love you guys. And yeah, keep tripping. You got this.